Rusty Quill presents. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. West Side Fairy Tales is a dark fiction and horror podcast. The story you are about to hear is violent and disturbing. Exercise discretion before listening. Previously on Scars in Time. Ash's relationship with Darcy sours as she digs deeper into Jacob Morgan's story, resulting in a particularly nasty fight when Ash accidentally locks Darcy out of the house during a rainstorm while riding. Darcy leaves Ash to drink and eat by herself, but Ash finds she isn't alone. Her ghost, a cruel thing wreathed in golden radiance, taunts her, bites her, and tells her to get back to work. And Ash does, delving into the sins of Jacob Morgan, his crimes, his deal with an odd and crooked man made in a bar of lost sinners, and his eventual decline into the man she met on the balconies of the Gun Cotton Hotel. A man whose last job included a postcard with her name on it. Without further ado, Scars in Time... 
chapter 11. The Hole. It was with a quaky sort of vibration that I returned to the real world. My eyes felt layered a hundredfold within themselves, laminations of sight both revealing and obscuring the next layer as they tried to self-correct. Then they did, spilling me back into my body even as the dull radiance of Morgan's world faded and the windows around me returned to black. The story was finished. Finished. More than I've shared with you, even far more. Though you know the end of it. The motel and the balcony. Perhaps you haven't seen the shadow just inside the door beside his bed. But I'm sure you can imagine its shape. But, more importantly, I'd finished. Starting was never hard. An idea, a flash, a flicker. And then I'd run off to the word processor and think I was a genius for five days straight until the first nasty little tear in the fabric of the plot. This bit of bunching, that little hole. Then I'd abandon everything and hate myself and forget I'd even started writing the fucking thing. But not this time. This time I'd finished. Jacob Morgan's life, fictional as it may be, now lay in a tidy pile in the tray to the right of the typewriter. The golden scrollwork on the thing had a sullen sort of glow to it in the pulsing lamplight. I plucked that last page free and looked over the final paragraph. That beckoning hand, it read, reaching ever closer, moving out from the shape in the corner beside the bed. Those fishhook fingers glittered, called to him. But Morgan had had enough. The deal wasn't worth it. There wasn't a man named Jacob Morgan anymore to spend the money on, just the warped and pitted soul this ugly work had left. He pitched himself over the railing, and that was that. The shape looked on a while longer, listening for the impact at the end of the long fall. Then, in the silence that followed, it slid Morgan's last, finished postcard off the bedside, slipped it away somewhere in its writhing, smoking form, and returned once again to darkness. Even though I could remember writing all that, it seemed alien somehow. Not mine anymore, or better yet, like it had never been mine. It was an ugly, poisonous feeling amidst the thrill of having finished that I was all too eager to simply ignore. I placed the paper face down on the back of the stack and then flipped the entire thing over, looking at the first words I'd written all those weeks ago. I ran my fingers over them, enjoying the slight depressions the typewriter had left with each letter. It was all so much more tactile than working with a computer. The stack of paper I had turned into Morgan's story seemed to weigh about five pounds or so. I stared at it a second longer and then threaded a last piece of paper into the typewriter. I scrolled down to the center of the page and, without thinking, typed the collection agent. Then, below that, by Ash Littletree. I pulled the paper free and spent a good few minutes just sitting there, staring at the finished product. I'd have to scan the whole thing into a computer still, of course. And then send all that off to Su Yin so she could pitch it to people that actually lived in this millennium. I wondered idly if there were any computer programs that could scan it quickly and turn the mass of pages into a more accessible word processor document. It was odd, thinking about the stack of pages, which were so substantial and yet so very, very fragile. The gentlest touch of a lighter and my entire story would be utterly, completely gone. Setting it down on a wet counter or by a breezy open window could spell disaster. Hell, even leaving it up here in the garret, which I already planned to do, it might get eaten by a damn mouse. I might have sat all day mulling the infantile helplessness of my newly finished story if I 
hadn't felt the house rocking under my feet like a ship accidentally running aground. The sleepy sort of fugue I hadn't even noticed I was in slipped off my head and shoulders like a blanket, and I coughed very hard and very suddenly. Something landed on my hand and I quickly wiped it off on my jeans without looking at it, only mildly disgusted with myself. Then I stood and stretched, relishing the pop of my mid-back and shoulders, and went to the trapdoor to go downstairs. I loaded a fresh piece of paper into the typewriter. I stopped midway down the ladder, my eyes focusing on the rungs in that same sleepy way as when I'd fallen out of the finished story. My head was swimming, probably from all the sudden movement after sitting still for so long. I pressed my palms against my eyes and rubbed them for a second, until the odd sense of vertigo passed and I could direct myself out of the attic. Children, children, gather around and place your hand in the air. That's right. Fingers split wide, wide, wide so the wind can pass between them. Carry that sweet scent of trade on to the nose of the witcher. We are gathered here today in non-existence, awaiting the strike of the pen, the clatter of the keyboard, the moment when I might be introduced to the ears of the masses so that our work can spring forth anew in the hearts of millions. But that we are carried on the wings of angels. Say true, our words must be electrified. Amen. Our words must be clarified. Amen. Our words must be carried wide. Amen. So go out there, little brothers, little sisters, and spread the gospel on social media. Put us on Reddit, put us on the Facebook, and put us on the Twitter, praise her. Share us far and wide, so that I might become and my story made clear. At WS Fairy Tales on Twitter, Westside Fairy Tales on Facebook, and Instagram, the link tree is in the description. Praise her name. Praise her, mm, praise her, yes. And let us together drive this sin from gun cotton. Mm. Raise your hands now. Raise your hands. Now back to our story already in progress. stretched and yawned, steadily submerging myself in the acoustic chaos of the renovation work happening on the first floor. Somebody with more experience could probably have parsed out the sounds and made sense of the individual tasks joining in this symphonic overload, but certainly not I. I stopped in the kitchen for a drink of water and realized a moment too late that my sink was gone. All that remained was a pit of cut and broken wood that dropped, I presumed, all the way into the basement. When I looked down through it, I could see the occasional flashlight bobbing through the dark. I sighed, fished a bottle of orange juice out of the fridge, and then walked around the house to get a better look at the construction. There were maybe two dozen workers spread out through the house, all of them either looking terribly rushed or not busy at all. I found Boomer, who I'd gotten to know fairly well over the past few weeks, staring into the same hole in the wall beside the large central staircase as four other workers. One was holding a large, flat, square work light plugged into the bank of temporary sockets by the front door and shining it down into the seemingly impenetrable dark beneath the floorboards. Another man plumbed the depths there with what looked like a massive fishing reel with an orange plastic casing. 
As I watched, he pulled a yard of metal wire out of the thing and pushed it deeper into the hole. Then he yelled, Can you see anything, Mark? I was surprised to hear a soft no echoing out of the hole. Hey, Boomer, I said, sipping at my orange juice. Boomer looked over his shoulder and waved at me before tapping the arm of the man working the fishing reel thing and giving him some additional instructions in a low voice. The guy nodded and pushed more of the wire into the hole. Hey, Mrs. Littletree, he said. I'd told him probably a dozen times to just call me Ash, but he'd demurred on the basis of professionalism and some mama-raised-me-right malarkey I couldn't disabuse him of. You uh, hear that little crash we had down here while you were up there working? He smiled sheepishly. Felt it more like, I said, looking around. Aside from the normal construction debris and the ripped-up walls, nothing really seemed amiss. What happened? I, well, we don't know, Boomer said, gesturing for me to walk to the side of the room. Even as we did so, a cadre of men carrying stacks of lumber came through the front door to deposit their load in the sitting room. He pointed to the hole where the other men were still poking and prodding around with the wire. That right there is, well, uh, what we call a chase, he said. Goes all the way down to the basement and all the way upstairs without interruption. Wasn't really made to be like that, but it's how we're going to use it. Or, at least, how we were planning to use it. He shook his head. See, uh, uh, the construction in this place is, well, fucking nuts, if you uh, don't mind my saying. He continued. Crooked and twisted up, but most of it's gone pretty good up until we hit this part right here. He nodded at the hole. For some reason, there was a massive goddamn pipe buried in the wall. Aftermarket. Like, whoever put it in was real amateurish about it. He shook his head and put his hands on his hips. Yeah, we pulled that wall apart to get at the lights for the living room in there and a few wall sockets, and damn, if that big fucking pipe didn't come loose the second we pulled the paneling off the wall. It rattled down to, uh, well, I don't really know where, and broke off and took all the damn lines down with it. I looked at the hole now, running my fingers through the hair on the side of my head. The space beyond the floorboards was pitch black. I shivered looking at it, and with that came the gentle tapping of the typewriter. I felt my fingers tapping along to that rhythm on my leg, and had to make a fist to stop them from continuing. So, is anything broken? Is the house in danger? I asked. He sighed. Maybe, he said. For sure that damn pipe is broken. There's a length of it. Here, I'll show you. He led me over to where the men were still fishing around and pointed above them. I could see a dark ring of lightly reflective metal disappearing up into the second floor. Once I had gotten a look at it, Boomer walked me back out of the way of the workers. So, that we had to cut away, he said. It's a weird-ass metal, real soft, but I don't think it's lead. Maybe like... Part lead or something, but for sure not something I've ever pulled out of my house before. Neither way, you saw how big that sucker was, right? I nodded. The ring I'd seen was at least four or five inches in diameter, and the walls of the pipe had been nearly as thick as my pinky finger. The part that fell had just sort of cracked away, and then it landed somewhere down there, but that's the problem. He put his hand inside his beard under his chin and tugged at the hairs there. We don't know where down there is. What? I asked. He nodded to the man working on the fishing reel. A uh, guy using that fish tape there, the uh, big wire pulling thing, that's Joaquin. He's my electrician. He was working on that wall when the pipe fell. Actually, it was him who pulled that wall panel free and knocked the damn thing loose. Anyhow, 
He said it took a few long seconds before he heard the thing land, and whatever it hit shook the whole goddamn house. What does that mean? Well, it means you have a big goddamn hole under that side of the house that we can't seem to find, Boomer said. But I think whatever it is, is sitting on the other side of that rough wall in your basement. A big goddamn hole, I asked. What does that mean? Hell, Boomer said. House this old, in these hills, could be anything. I gave him a blank look, and he shrugged and looked up at the ceiling. It, uh, it could be additional basement space. It could be a subsidence that's getting ready to swallow the whole damn house. It could even be a natural cave or something like that. I, I just don't know. Won't know if we can't get in there. Can't you just, I don't know, cut into the floor or something? I asked. He laughed. Sure. Uh, But it's not very, uh, safe, he said. And it could ruin the floors in there, which I'm trying not to do. He started walking toward the kitchen. You mind me showing you what we're going to try? Sure, I said, following him into the kitchen and then downstairs into the basement. I hadn't been back down there since the first time, and I was happy to see the place was far less intimidating now. The small room was full of detritus the workers had pulled off the walls. The remnants of the defunct former electrical system and what seemed like yards of old pipe. I kicked the pile with my foot. That's old radiator pipe and some feed pipe from the mains that lead out into town. Boomer said. I'd pay solid fucking money to see the plans for this place if the city actually kept any. He pointed to a section of new pipe, not terribly thick that disappeared into the basement wall. That's your feed pipe right there. We put it in, I think, the day we started, maybe day after. God only knows when the city ran water mains out here, but I'm glad we didn't have to dig up the cobblestones out there. He wrapped the pipe with his knuckle, making a soft dink. None of your pipes were lead or anything, but we do have a filter system we put in here. He pointed to a jumble of white pipes connected to a little pod with a cylindrical filter floating around in it. He pointed to a bunch of other things, a series of copper pipes disappearing up into the house. That's all your feeds now, hot, cold. He pointed to one length of tube and then to the other. And this is your heater right here. He tapped a flat, square box on the wall. It's all self-contained, no reservoir, so it's super efficient and all that. Boomer, did you want to show me something specific? I asked. I could hear the clicking of the typewriter in the back of my head now, constant and insistent. I could even see the fresh sheet of paper I'd put in the reel, and the river of characters flowing with the constant snap of the typing arms. Oh, uh, I'm sorry about that, he said. You were just looking at all this stuff, and, uh, well, uh, At least this is all stuff I can explain. I smiled, sort of just wanting him to get done so I could get back to work. On what? I didn't know, but I could feel the page calling to me. Boomer adjusted a heavy, two-headed work light on a tall stand so it was facing the one rough stone wall that stood out in such contrast to the other three. With such bright lights on the thing, it was hard to ignore how out of place it looked. In fact, it seemed shoddy somehow, as though it had been thrown together in a hurry. I put my hand against the surface and noticed it was fairly warm and extremely dry. All the other walls in the basement existed in a state of constant dampness. I saw a few dozen small, flat circles spread out over the surface of it. Boomer noticed when I ran a finger over one. Those are from us, he said. Trying to sound out what's on the other side of this thing. He pulled a hammer from a metal loop on his work belt and showed me the head of the thing. Then he began walking along and tapping various parts of the wall. Thump, thump, thump. The noises were dull. All that's thick, he said. Real thick, but here... He hit the wall and this time it made a much more hollow sound, 
Tonk. So we're planning on drilling a few holes here, if it's okay with you. So we can see what's going on in there. Maybe even get inside and do something about it if there's a real problem. That's fine, Boomer. I said. I have functionally no experience in any of this, so I'm just going to defer to you. I waved my hand around at any and then crossed my arms. Really, I was just trying to hide the movement of my fingers. It had progressed way past simple and patient fidgeting. It was making me nervous that I'd embarrass myself. I sat up at the desk and cracked my fingers over my head, feeling like my old self again and unable to resist the urge. Uh, of course not, Boomer said. Hey, are you okay? I tried to tell him I was, but I wasn't. For some reason, I was leaning fully against the basement's odd, rough wall and trying to catch my breath. I wiped my forehead with my arm and felt it go slick with sweat. Boomer's hand was heavy on my shoulder. Ah, sorry, I said, straightening back up and looking around the room. What were we saying? Or what was I saying? He gave me a long, concerned look. You were asking if drilling a few holes in that wall would knock the house down. He said. I said, of course not. Then you, uh, sort of fell against the wall there. Shit. I said. I ran both hands through my hair and then massaged my neck. I must be working myself too damn hard. You think riding wore you out like that? Boomer asked, earnestly incredulous. You'd be surprised, I said. You'd be correct, he replied. Uh, that's about all there is to see down here. You mind taking the stairs first, just in case? You afraid I'm going to fall out on the way up? I asked with a chuckle. He smiled and shrugged. Most important hand on any job is one that signs the checks, he replied. And I could tell he was only sort of joking. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Wow, what a great story. But I have no fucking idea what's going on in it to you. Maybe it'd be a little easier to understand if I had access to a, a written version of the show to follow along with and read back through. Maybe even some, uh, I don't know, behind the story information to clear up some of my, my fucking questions. Oh, wait, right there. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it says right there. Join the West Side Fairy Tales Patreon today and get access to behind the story audio programs and fully laid out chapters of this story, Scars in Time and most of the West Side Fairy Tales back catalog for just five measly dollars a month. Wow, what a deal. Oh, it even says here you can get special merch packs and signed posters if you give a a, a more generous donation. Uh, that means he needs your money, people. This isn't a fucking charity. Okay, go to patreon.com slash westsidefairytales today and subscribe for excellent behind-the-story content and more. That's patreon.com slash Westside Fairy Tales. Link is in the description. And don't forget to watch my show if it's for. Ah, come on! I'm not doing this for free! Now back to our story, already in progress. We walked upstairs, and I felt fine enough by the time I was in my kitchen again, noticing how clean the upstairs air smelled outside the must of the basement. Nearly all the windows in the house were open to give the renovation dust away outside. I stood in the kitchen, looking into the overgrown thicket of the backyard and wondering when I'd make the time to go out there and clean things up. Ash, get the door! Mike yelled startling me out of a daydream. Okay, honey, I said reflexively. I felt a sway as my brain recoiled from something in what I'd just said. The feeling was so intense I had to steady myself against the stove, my hand falling just shy of a simmering pan full of onions. I blinked and took two steps back, scratching at the unfamiliar sensation of hair tickling my shoulders. Again, I nearly swooned, feeling something like the air itself hardening around me, thickening into ropes that pressed against my face. Jesus, I whispered to myself. Ash, get the fucking door, Mike yelled. I shook off the fugue and headed for the front door, binding the hole the workman had left where the sink had been. Looking down, I could see the barest flicker of lights bobbing around. Sorry, baby, I said, looking at my husband in the dining room with a tinge of real anger. As much as I could allow myself, really. He was idly flicking through pages of Excel spreadsheets. It was work, for sure, but nothing he couldn't put aside for just a second to open the door. Then I felt it. That honey-soaked tinge of surrender that always followed me, getting mad at him. It rolled, warm and thick, down the back of my head and settled through between my shoulders. Slid down into my heart. I smiled and kicked myself mentally for whining about such an easy chore when he was clearly the busy one. I stopped to brush my hair up over my shoulder before opening the door. That was where it looked good, brushed up over my shoulder. I looked over the bottom of the silky strands, all still as full and brown as they had been when I was a teenager. For some reason, I made a fist and pulled at my hair hard for a second, frantically searching for the thick cords of white that should have been there. The honeyed feeling of disobedience grew so hot I shivered. Then I opened the door. Good afternoon, ma'am, the person at the door said. He was a faintly familiar man in a nice-looking, if cheap, suit. 
He unfolded his wallet to show me a badge. My name's Detective Lee. I'm with the Carbonus County Sheriff's Department. Oh, I said. My stomach clenched involuntarily when I spoke, an oily, almost fishhook-like feeling that left me half expecting to spit blood. Are you okay? The detective asked. Yes, it's just been a long day, I said. I could feel my fingers involuntarily tapping against my leg. I tried to make a fist, but even then I couldn't feel the tip of each finger rhythmically pressing into my palm. How can I help you? I'm here about a Mr. Jacob Morgan. Are you familiar with him? Lee asked. Yes, I said. I talked with you about him after he killed himself. I felt myself all but swaying on my feet. The detective gave me a surprised look and then pulled a notepad out of his jacket pocket, flipping through multiple pages. I, uh... He looked through the pages a second time. I don't recall ever talking to you about that. I, I'm sorry. You're Ashley Colon, correct? Fuck no, I said. The words never passed my lips. Yes, I said. Would you like to speak to my husband? The detective nodded slowly, looking at me like I was about to sprout wings. If you... If you don't mind, Lee said. Please wait here, I said, leaving the door only slightly open and walking to the dining room. I tapped on the doorframe and Mike looked up at me. I smiled at him, even though I desperately, desperately didn't want to. He was more handsome than I remembered him. Fully a man now and sporting salt and pepper stubble around his face that made him look half like a male model. He adjusted the tweed sports jacket he was wearing and cocked an eyebrow up at me. There's a man at the door, I said. He's a detective for the county, he said. Mike rolled his eyes and stood, brushing himself off. Bobby said that fucking real estate agent business was handled, god damn it, he said, standing and adjusting his clothing before heading to the door. I followed him, staying just behind in case I needed to get anything for him or the detective from the kitchen. With all the men working in the new house, it was hard to hear Mike when he needed me. Hello, officer. What can I help you with? Mike asked, using the same deep, authoritative voice he used when speaking on television. I almost felt bad for the detective when I saw his face go white. Holy shit, the young man said. I'm sorry about that. You're Senator Colin. Um, I, I'm sorry. I didn't realize where I would have called ahead, sir. The deference made Mike smile. He held out a hand and Detective Lee took it. I wondered if he noticed the moment Mike slipped inside his head. I could see it, that slight relaxing of the eyes. It was so subtle, so practiced these days he almost never had anybody catch on to what was happening to them. That's no problem, Detective, Mike said. But I am extremely busy. Can you tell me exactly what you're here about and why you need to talk to me? The detective's body hitched slightly as his brain processed what Mike was allowing him to say. A man named Jacob Morgan killed himself several weeks ago at the Gun Cotton Hotel, the detective said. His face and mannerisms were mostly normal, but his voice was slightly flat, hurried. His suicide isn't under scrutiny at all anymore, but his actions before coming to Gun Cotton are being investigated. A search of his apartment after his death turned up several alarming pieces of evidence, including more than 20 postcards with bloody thumbprints on them. Really, Mike said. His voice was hard and unquestioning. He sounded inconvenienced, if anything. Irritated. Yes, sir, the detective continued. The local police in Montana turned over the investigation to the FBI after some of the fingerprints were connected to, to missing persons from several different decades and states. Agents from Charleston asked us county boys to check out some of the smaller leads because they're so short-staffed. And I'm a lead. Yes, sir. Am I a person of interest? 
Not particularly, sir, the detective said. You were just the last person to buy a house from him. Also, uh, the only person to buy a home from him. He didn't, he didn't really sell real estate. In fact, he has no reported income since his arrest on some fraud charges a few decades back. Fraud, huh? Yes, sir. You think this house is fake, then? Sir? Never mind, detective, Mike said, rubbing the bridge of his nose. You were very helpful, but I don't think you need to come back here for any follow-ups or the like. Correct? Yes, Detective Lee said, rubbing the bridge of his nose the same way as Mike. Then you have a nice day, detective, Mike said. He moved close to the door and then thought of something else. Who is the agent in charge of the investigation over at the Bureau? I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but I have his card, the detective said. Mike held out his hand. Give it to me, he said. The detective complied with the quick, eager movements of a child. Mike looked over the card and sighed, mumbling, Thank God, he's not a fucking Corsican, at least... He looked up at the detective. You're done here, detective. Thank you for all your help, Mike said. Thank you for all your help, the detective repeated. Oh, and if you think of this conversation later, anything suspicious you remember is just because you were nervous to meet a sitting senator in person, Mike said. In fact, you're mostly just worried you embarrassed yourself. And even thinking about this moment makes you cringe a little. Yeah? Yeah, the detective said. The expression on his face soured a bit. Bye then, Mike said. Bye then, the detective repeated. Mike broke contact with him and shut the door. I saw the detective blinking as the latch clicked into place. Why are you lingering, Ash? Mike asked. He reached out to touch me, and I slapped away his hand. The movement was so sudden, so startling, he jumped back. Then he glared at me. No, not at me, but into me, as though there was something more to see just behind my eyes. He reached toward me again, more seriously this time, but our daughter's voice broke his concentration. Daddy, daddy! She yelled running in and swinging up into his arms. Ow, fuck, he said, stumbling to the side. I realized she'd been carrying a hammer and had accidentally hit him. Mike took it from her hand and looked at it. Where did you get this from? I borrowed it from Mr. Boomer, the girl said. Her eyes were so brilliantly blue they almost seemed to cast their own light. They were glowing, at least. Even though she was talking to Mike, those eyes were on me. My fingers were drumming against my leg so hard I could hear the joints popping. He was showing me how to see if there's a space behind a wall by tapping on it. You just go like, boop, and if it sounds empty, then it probably is. But you gotta tap a bunch of places. Like this? Mike asked, lifting the hammer and tapping my forehead with it hard enough to make me flinch. I felt sick immediately. That same ripping metal feeling deep inside my guts. I, impossibly, imagined myself beating Mike to death with that hammer. Along with that came the image of him as a boy, but terribly hurt and bleeding on the side of a mountain road. Then my foot, as I kicked him off the edge. Does Mommy's head sound empty? Mike asked. No... The girl said, laughing. She's a famous writer, lady. I think her brain is too full. Mike gave the girl an odd, confused look. Her name is Coraline, a voice inside my head said. She's my daughter. I don't have a fucking daughter, another voice inside my head said. Oh, mommy, are you okay? The girl Coraline said. Jesus, Ash, Mike said, turning so he was between me and our daughter. 
I barely tapped you. There's no reason to be crying like that. I reached up and touched my face, palming away enough tears to make my hand wet. Mike rolled his eyes and grabbed my wrist. You're fine. Now go make dinner. I was fine. The honey wasn't just there, but everywhere. I was encapsulated in hot syrup. It pushed its way into my skull and chest, removing anything that got in the way. I sucked in a painful breath, searching for the ugly, oily feeling of the fish hook and all but panicking when I couldn't find it. I was already cooking dinner, I mumbled. What? Mike asked. Daddy, something's burning, Coraline said, pointing to the kitchen. I remembered the onions I had left on the stove. Black smoke rolled out of the kitchen into the main hall, more than some burned vegetables could produce. It covered Mike and Coraline in a second, and I found myself panicking. I reached out for my daughter, and my own hand slapped my wrist down. Fuck you, I told myself, a younger-looking, emptier-looking version of me wearing, of all things, a fucking dress. She gave me the same horrified look as the smoke swirled up around us, and then we were being pulled apart. The smoke was so thick I had to let her go so I could cover my mouth with my shirt. My eyes watered. The only thing I could see was the pattern of the tiles in the main hall beneath my feet. I was wearing the good old-fashioned Chuck Taylors I had bought on sale in Boulder years before we moved to Gun Cotton. I tried to make sense of the pattern in the tiles to get a heading of which direction I was facing. The smoke was almost deafening, it was so thick. Outside of the haze, I could hear the workers shouting to each other about a fire extinguisher. Then a soft hand wrapped around my wrist and pulled me against a slender, feminine body. Her eyes were inches from mine. My ghost. She bared her teeth and pressed her mouth against mine, not kissing me, but blowing fresh air into my lungs. I tried to pull away from her, but it was like she was glued to me. There was nothing I could tear away without ripping my own flesh apart. Get back. To work, Ash, she said. Morgan was a nice diversion to get started, but dwelling in regret is boring. There are so many more interesting things you could be working on. Get the fuck off me, I shouted, choking on my next breath. She let me cough for a moment before lifting my chin in her fingers and blowing more fresh air down my throat. It sickened me, but I welcomed it. This time, the tip of her tongue flicked inside my mouth, brushing my own tongue and making me recoil. You should go downstairs and get out of this. See what you find, she said. The smoke didn't bother her in the least. We could finally start writing about him. What? I asked, but she ignored me. She made a pouty face and strutted around me, keeping her hand in contact with the skin of my throat. Then she was behind me, fingers draping over my shoulders as she put her lips against my ear. I can bring him out for you, baby, if you need some inspiration, she said. But there's no putting him away after. You're just going to have to get writing, huh? She put her mouth on my earlobe and bit hard enough to make me grind my teeth. Get the fuck back to work, Ash, she hissed. Then she pushed me down into my desk chair, and the smoke all but dissipated, though I could still smell it. I tried to look around to get some sense of where I was, even though I knew. I was in the garret. The windows weren't black with paint bright now, but thick with smoke that pressed flatly against the glowing, translucent panes. Just seeing it made me cough, and I had to stifle a scream when I moved my hand to cover my mouth. My wrists were terribly, terribly stiff. My hands and fingers especially were so tired I could barely close them. And when I did, there was an awful popping and cracking noise in the joints. 
I had been typing the entire time, I realized. The world seemed to spin as my mind refocused three disparate images back into one. The three timelines since I'd finished the Morgan story overlapping, and then doing their best to reconcile themselves. The memory that remained was chimeric, cancerously mismatched. I thumbed through the stack of papers in the finished tray to the right of the typewriter. They were at least as thick as the Morgan story, but trying to read through them was impossible. Paragraphs started and ended inside of each other, and even the smallest sentences seemed cobbled together from multiple threads of thought. I barely recognized my own voice in it. Thin trails of smoke rose through the gaps around the trapdoor, acrid and choking, thicker than the light fog filling the garret. I thought of the fire, my other self and her stupid burning onions and her head full of poison honey. It couldn't be real. I was just having visions again, wasn't I? I might have stuck around to think about it, but all I could focus on right then was the possibility of dying in the attic. Or, worse, of having all the pages I'd just written go up in flames. I gathered up both stacks, the stuff I'd unwittingly written about another me living in matrimony with my... with Mike, and the much less worrisome story about Jacob Morgan. Then I stripped my shirt off and wrapped it around my face, leaving myself in just an ugly old white bra and jeans. Fuck! I whispered, touching the trap door like I'd seen in old movies. It was warm enough, but not hot, though I didn't know what options I would have had if the entire floor beneath me had been on fire. I held my breath and ripped it open, immediately staggering back from the gout of yellow-black smoke that poured up into the garret. It faded quickly, though a thick, bubble-like wad of smoke rose whole and rippling to settle against the ceiling above me. I held the lantern over the trap door and saw the smoke wasn't so terrible down there. It was more of a mist that must have been building up underneath the trap door for a while before I opened it. I descended the ladder and the two attic levels quickly, fairly dizzy from holding my breath by the time I reached the second floor. I tripped into the banister and took a long, sucking breath that I thought would be, perhaps, My last as I died from smoke inhalation. The result wasn't nearly so bad. The smoke tasted like filthy, burning metal, but it was otherwise thin enough my lungs managed to parse some oxygen from the mix. The inside of my home looked like the old town streets outside when the fog was at its worst. I could make out only the fuzzy edges of shapes amongst the smoke. Thankfully, The stairs and the edges of the banister were more than visible, and I was able to guide myself downstairs safely. Though I did notice, right before I touched down to the first floor and made a mad dash for my life, that the smoke was far worse near the hole Boomer and his men had been working over earlier. In fact, that seemed to be where it was all coming from. I burst through the front door, which was closed for some reason and emerged to maybe two dozen men and women standing at the base of my porch. They looked at me at once and began screaming and running toward me, which so badly startled me I almost turned and ran back inside the house. Then I realized that only some of the people were running toward me, and they were all dressed like firefighters. Oh, I said, watching a round ball of smoke rising in front of my face. I raised my free hand to my mouth just before the first of them grabbed me and realized I'd lost my improvised face mask and therefore my shirt and was now standing in just my ugliest brawl in front of all these strangers. God damn it, I said. Then I lost consciousness. Hey. Hey, you. There's new merch in the merch store. So go fucking buy some, you hear me? You wanna, you want a fucking shirt, bro? You want a sick fucking shirt, bro? Go to the fucking merch store and check out our new shirt. 
It's a collage of all that pretty artwork Miss Yui puts together for season four. Fucking beautiful. You want to be fucking beautiful, don't you? Then go buy a shirt. You want to stay fucking beautiful? You better buy two fucking shirts. You better buy a fucking mug, too, and a fucking beanie. Don't let me find out you aren't wearing the merch. You better go to westsidefairytales.com slash merch and buy something. Yeah. Westsidefairytales.com slash merch. See you soon. Now back to our story already in progress. I woke up sitting in the back of an ambulance on the other side of the bridge leading to Old Town. Apparently, once they dragged me into the back of the thing, they had driven away from the house to let the fire crews work on our home. At least, that's what Darcy told me as she worked the oxygen mask over my face. Her words were clipped, direct, and professional. You inhaled a lot of smoke, ma'am, she said. Were you really all the way up in that little room when the fire started? I nodded. I couldn't really talk. My vocal cords were absolutely fried. The consensus I'd heard was that I was lucky to be alive. Jesus, babe. I croaked. What if we burnt down two goddamn houses in the same year? Darcy gave me her concerned doctor look and adjusted the heavy canvas turnout coat one of the firefighters had lent me. You need to stay warm, she said. And don't try to stand up or go anywhere without someone next to you, understand? You could pass out and hit your head. I tried to say something like, all right, but all I managed was a sound like, Ugh. Then I was coughing so hard Darcy put her hand under my chest to keep me from rolling off the back of the ambulance. I pulled the mask away from my face and coughed so violently my vision went black for a second. Oh, wow, Darcy said. It was an odd, doctorly way to react to the golf ball-sized gob of black shit laying on the pavement beneath my feet. She took the mask from my hands and wiped it clean with some gauze pads she pulled out of the ambulance. The fabric came away black and gray. I tried to make some comment about it, but I could barely breathe, and she slipped the mask back on over my face. I patted her hand, and she squeezed my shoulder. You're going to sit here until I come back and check on you one last time, all right? She asked. I nodded. She turned to go and then stopped. Oh, looks like your husband's here. I guess he can keep you company. I stopped breathing in earnest while I waited for her to tell some joke and let me off the hook. But she didn't. Instead, she just said hello to a shadow approaching from the other side of the ambulance, out where I couldn't see. I put my hand into my hair and knew at once it was wrong. Too long. Far too long. I stretched it in front of my face and saw the unblemished lengths of brown thicker and healthier than it ever was when I let it grow myself. No ghost-white strands, no fishnet scars covering the back of my skull. Fuck. I whisper. Fucking goddammit. Jesus Christ, baby, look at you. Mike said, walking around the back of the ambulance. He grabbed my chin and moved it side to side, pouring that honey-hot sickness of his into me. I would have slapped him away, but I was too damn tired. Too goddamn confused. They said you ran all the way upstairs to get our little girl, he said. That's incredible. Just incredible. He said those words not as though he were grateful, but as though his dog had just done an interesting new trick. Then she was there, too. Blonde and childlike and unblemished, even though the smoke had ruined her clothes. Hello, Daddy, she chirped, wrapping her arm around his leg and then turning her smile on me. Her blue eyes shimmered as she pushed her cheek into Mike's leg. 
I thought I was going to be sick. And then I was. Coming up on Scars in Time. There is no separating Ash from her visions now, and she doesn't know if what she's experiencing are visions at all. Seemingly thrust out of her own life and into one she'd rather die, rather kill, than live, she finds her headspace filled with memories of an existence that shouldn't feel as familiar as it does. Desperate for a way out, but bedridden from smoke inhalation, Ash is forced to use every last ounce of wit to escape this new and horrific predicament. I hope you'll join us next episode for Scars in Time, Chapter 12, The Hollow Braid. And until then, as always, stay safe out there. The West Side Fairy Tales is written, read, scored, and produced by Tyler Bell. Original audio filmed on location in Sutton, West Virginia, and Louisville, Kentucky. Engineering and sound design by WSF Productions, LLC. Episode art by Yui Breedlove. All content herein copyright 2021, WSF Productions, LLC. are on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, 
doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning West Side Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast, due for release by Henlow Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.